Hi, Jim Roddy here from the RSPA. If you're a frequent listener to this podcast, the RSPA Trusted Advisor, you know that since the spring started, I've been using about 30 or 45 seconds before our podcast to promote retail now. And so I'm still going to do that, but I want to give you a little bit behind the scenes uh, in terms of recording this podcast. So I recorded these promos, these previews, uh, right after we conducted the interview. So I just finished my interview with Nicole Ryla and Stacey Widlitz, two retail experts. And I got to tell you, they were absolutely marvelous. So almost a warning to you, right? If you're driving, keep listening, but you may need to listen to this podcast again because there's going to be a lot for you to write down, whether it's tools or model retailers that you can, uh, you know, pattern some of your SMB uh, clients after and all sorts of advice for SMB solution providers. So I really, you're going to enjoy this episode. A lot of great information in there. But before I do that, I do have to let you know, registration is now open for Retail Now 2021 and early bird registration rates are expiring soon. So you'll want to register today. And again, Retail Now is the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education conference, and networking event. You can join the RSPA and Retail IT Channel leaders live and in person July 25th through 27th at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville. As I said, you're going to hear about the latest retail technology trends in this episode, and Retail Now is your one stop to see all the new products and meet the people behind them. So for details, visit the Retail Now 2021 website at gorspa.org forward slash retail now. All right, I hope to see you in Nashville for Retail Now, and I hope you enjoy today's episode as much as I did being part of the interview. Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal for the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, we're going to focus on technology and customer experience trends in retail, and our format's going to be a little different from our typical show. Usually, I'm the one asking questions to RSPA members, but today I have a list of questions from our members that I'm going to ask to two retail industry analysts who were recently named to the Rethink Retail Top 100 Influencer List. Our first expert guest is Nicole Ryla. Nicole is the founder and publisher of Retail Minded, an internationally recognized blog and publication for independent retailers. Nicole's a frequent guest and contributor to national media outlets, including the Today Show and Forbes. And she's also author of the book, Retail 101, The Guide to Managing and Marketing Your Retail Business. Nicole, great to talk with you today. Looking forward to being here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Our second guest is Stacy Widlitz, a former Wall Street executive turned entrepreneur. Stacy's the president of SW Retail Advisors, an equity research firm with offices in London and New York. Stacy's also a Forbes contributor. Plus, for 10 years, she was a retail analyst for CNBC, and you're across the pond today. So, uh, Stacy, really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to this conversation. Great. Yeah, me as well. I can definitely say that. And so are our members as well. I reached out to some of our members to see what questions uh, they would ask you. And so they were super, super fired up for this. So again, our audience is technology solution providers. They mainly serve SMB retailers, and they're always curious what technologies are available to them and how they can help their SMB merchants compete. And that seems to be a lot of the themes of, of the questions they have. I almost feel like David Letterman, like he used to say, if they weren't real questions, I wouldn't be able to you know, do this, have the sheet of paper. So for those watching us on YouTube, we actually have uh, the questions we're reading here. So first question is from Brett Bennett of Positive Technologies in Opsuite. And Stacey, I'm hoping you can take this one first and then uh, Nicole, you can add in. So uh, Brett isn't the only one asking this question. It's what innovations were implemented during the pandemic and you think will stay for the long term? And how can smaller retailers take advantage 
of these new trends? Stacy first. That's a great question. You know, and I think the biggest challenge for small and medium-sized business is that obviously you've had these huge retailers with the resources and they were able to just pivot overnight. They literally went from inside their stores to the pavement, servicing the customer. So it's buy online, pick up a store. They were able to integrate their inventory so so seamlessly. So they were really able to react overnight. And, and that's something that small businesses have had a harder time doing and it's taking them a bit longer. But I think those trends will absolutely stay. You're seeing people wanting to get deliveries to their car from the store. Um, obviously, you know, we're looking at online representing maybe half the business in a few years from now. So there's so many technology changes, but I think there are a lot of tools also for small business. Um, and of course, there are, everything is changing, even the way we pay. So it's buy now, pay later, it's um, touchless technology. So there are all the things that the consumer really wants and the technology is now really readily available. Got it. Great. Yeah. You said delivery to car, online payments, and just like your general catch-all, everything's changing. That's so true. It's it's hard to keep up uh, with all of it. Uh, Nicole, uh, what's your take? Uh, what innovations do you think are going to stick around uh, beyond the pandemic? Well, I definitely want to reinforce what Stacy said in terms of payment. I think what happened during the pandemic was consumers decided, this is how I want to pay, or I need to pay for that matter. And a lot of times that meant eliminating traditional credit, introducing the buy now, pay later, which Stacy uh, shared as well, such as Klarna. Uh, the other thing I would say is social selling is becoming a really strong avenue to connect with customers. So when I reference social selling, what I mean is selling directly from social media through technologies such as Comet Sold. So if you are a physical merchant with a brick and mortar space, or if you have a warehouse of inventory that you're selling via e-commerce, you still have an opportunity to connect with customers via social media and integrating these technologies into the existing platform that you're probably already using, which again, is social media, Facebook and Instagram, as an example, you integrate a technology such as Comment Sold, and you can highlight your inventory, communicate to your customers, engage, inform them, and create transactions. So the path to purchase just became you know, very e easy for customers to make a purchase directly from where they're already being engaged, which during the pandemic, I think we can all agree, we probably spent more time on social media than we'd like to admit, right? Uh, uh, very true. I was going to say there was no other outlet, right? Instead of uh, shaking hands at a trade show or sharing a drink with somebody, it had to be everything's, uh, everybody's two-dimensional at this and point. Nicole, so Nicole made a great point about the social selling. And also, if you look at some of the larger players and even how successful in China, you look at Alibaba and Tmall, they were live streaming. That's how they were selling. And that was so incredibly successful that now that's starting to pan out to other parts of the world and you and Europe and the US, but you don't need to make it that complicated even for even a lot of the big department stores, particularly in Europe. I was talking to somebody at Harrods the other day, a major luxury brand, they're FaceTiming their clients. This is not high tech stuff. And this is how they're keeping in touch and keeping that relationship and also getting the data on the customer about what they're thinking, what their habits are and what they're looking for. So it's just trying to take some of those big brand concepts and making them small and simple. Mm -hmm. Got it. Great. And, and figuring out how can you adjust those for an SMB client. So we're going to stay on the theme of large retailers and, and, you know, and small retailers as well. So Rick Fueling of Wright Systems and Cloud Retailer asks, from your perspective, what's an important innovation large retailers are overlooking 
that SMB merchants can take advantage of right now if those smaller retailers took the initiative to fill the gap? So Nicole, if you can take that one first. Again, what's being overlooked by those big retailers? So I think that one click to transaction, it's really, really important. So for example, Bolt Commerce, which offers the opportunity to introduce a login that becomes remembered essentially. The customer creates this login identity and it's one click to transaction versus having to sign in either as a guest or one member to that one site. So what this technology is doing, it's allowing customers to relieve that pain point, that frustration that they often have when they are making purchases online. Larger companies are using it, such as Forever 21, but small businesses have the opportunity to quickly integrate that into their platforms. You know, there's not as many people to have to get approval from to make that choice. And as consumers, you know, that's very important for us. We want ease and convenience, but we also want security. So the login opportunity in creating that unique to me transaction is very, very important. Yeah, frictionless, customized, and secure, mm -hmm. right? It's gotta be all those things all in, all in one click. Yeah. Uh, like I'm always surprised at how many steps it takes sometimes from larger merchants still online. I'm like, this does not have to be the case. And sometimes I eject because it's just a little bit too much. Got it. Uh, Stacy. any uh, any innovations you see that are being overlooked? I was just going to add, and that's crucial, the technology that Nicole was talking about with Bolt, because again, you know, it's all of us have been there when you have to give all your details and then it times out and you're just like, oh, forget it, abandon cart. And that's, you know, the conversion rates you'd be surprised online are, they're, they're really small. I mean, they're, they're pretty terrible. So technology like this can, can completely be a game changer for conversion rates. Um, but I think, you know, small business, I think one of the, one of the things that it really has going for it and what I've seen during the pandemic is that small business has been thinking really quick on its feet. Wow. Let me do a personalized gift item, a personalized toy bag for my customer. Let's do a grandparent's toy bag and let's advertise that and use social media to get it out there. So it's, I've been really impressed by the smaller players and, and how they've succeeded. But one thing I would say is you know, we often talk about unique product. Don't pe don't compete with the big guys and don't compete on price because you'll lose. So if you have something truly unique, it's not only about the local customer, but it's the international customer. And now, you know, you don't need infrastructure to go to China if you have something incredibly unique. I've seen a lot of small brands with something very special sign up and, and go forward with Tmall and just absolutely explode. And that's where so much of the growth has been over the past year or so. So don't be afraid to do it if you, of course, can afford, you know, the up the upfront fees. Sure. Sure. And I guess one thing that because I work as a business coach for resellers and software developers and a big thing I'm preaching to them is test and measure, test and measure. Right. You know, try something, see if it works. It sounds like that's kind of what both of you are recommending for these retailers as well in terms of just don't sit still. You've got to try some different things and, and see what resonates uh, with them. Crazy idea. I mean, some of these crazy ideas have been incredibly successful over the last year. Got it. Yeah, I was going to say that was always the thought process. If it's not too crazy and it's not illegal, let's give it a shot uh, and see what happens. So, um, all right, our next question, and Stacy, let's stick with you, is from Paul LaDuke of Globe POS Systems uh, just outside of Toronto. He says, how do you think smaller merchants can stay competitive and keep up with the array of technologies at the disposal of large retailers? It's not like they're sitting on a pile of cash, especially coming out of COVID, and they know how uh, how they know it takes time to achieve an ROI. How do they stay competitive 
despite those constraints? How would you answer that? Well, I think it's it's a combination of, of, of what we just talked about, using the tools that are accessible to small business, whether that's the checkout with Bolt or if you have the ability to look to international waters or simply you're just being creative and and being doing something that's personalized to your consumer and serving them in a way that the big guys can't. You know, when you walk into a local a, a local business, if, you know, you you are treated differently. And also don't forget gather as much data as possible. And you'd be surprised that there are AI tools out there that can really help you in terms of gathering data and figuring out how to predict how much product you need and what segments and what kind of SKUs that your customers want. So use all those tools. Fabulous. And I'm going to give a quick commercial, then we're going to get to AI after uh, that as well. So this is a good time to pause and let our listeners and viewers know uh, that an RSPA membership has never been more valuable or affordable. Annual memberships for VARs start at just $250 a year for dozens of high-value services. Also, thanks to our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star and Shift4 Payments. Our gold sponsors are Heartland, and ScanSource. To receive the benefits of RSP membership or RSP sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. And finally, don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2021, July 25th through 27th in Nashville, in person, face-to-face, human beings in 3D form. Uh, again, July 25th, 27th, Retail Now is where the industry meet. So let's talk about uh, AI. And so this is a second question from Brett Bennett. He says, we hear tier one retailers uh, that AI is a key investment for them going forward. What's the main benefit they're anticipating? And can SMB retailers take advantage of AI for the same reasons? Or are the benefits of AI today out of reach for everyone except the biggest of the big retailers? Uh, So Nicole, why don't you take that one first? And then Stacey, I know you want to add to that as well. So I think, you know, one of the key takeaways of AI is that you are welcoming predictability. You're welcoming the opportunity to be proactive, all of that leading to stronger profit. So by welcoming AI, you allow yourself as a brand and a business to be more proactive and to create stronger predictions on what's coming ahead. And in return, you'll have stronger profit, right? In theory, is it too expensive? Not necessarily, depending on the technology, it can be very much accessible to your brand or business. AI crosses a lot of categories at this point though. So whether it's inventory management or marketing, you know, there are a lot of places that AI is touching, logistics, supply chain. So you need to consider like what's gonna be most beneficial to your business. Um, And of course, as always, I would say just, you know, compare the technologies that are offering this and get the testimonials and also look at the integrations that exist within them. Do they integrate into what you already have set up for your business? Because unless it's a turnkey opportunity for you to get it going, you might actually create more road bumps along the way. So make sure those it's integrated into your existing technology. And it's interesting, Brett used the word anticipating in his question. It sounds like you're saying that's the major benefit of AI. It helps the retailer anticipate uh, what's around the corner from their customers, if I'm understanding that right. Absolutely. And when you read the questions, the first thing I thought, I said, he's already got the right mindset. Good. Wonderful. Stacey, uh, what's your take on AI, how it applies for both big and, and SMB retailers? So you've seen some of the, the large brands implemented rather early in caring that owns Gucci was, was one of the first to really go after it. And they're applying it not only to help with where should inventory be going and how to be efficient about allocation, but also to sustainability. 
And I think um, another great example is Levi's. They've been using AI technology and they started in Europe and actually they've seen that it helps manage their markdown. So in a business where we're all so used to, you know, getting over inventory and seeing stuff get marked down, perhaps this is a way that margins increase and finally in a sustainable manner because you can it helps you predict what you need. And I think also you've seen some of the data um, when you can look at passport purchases and use that to try to predict behavior, consumers spend double digits more than they typically do. So it's so important. But as Nicole was saying, you have to find the right platform where it can integrate into your current systems and just not use it as a one-off because I think it would just confuse you on, as a, as a one-off product. I appreciate how both of you answered and talked about the practical application of it because resellers can be super skeptical. Like I have burned into my brain. I remember attending an Ingram micro conference and somebody, a vendor was displaying 3D digital signage, right? And so this, there was a keynote panel to end the conference and one of the resellers on stage was like, is that vendor into the room? Good. Who in the hell is going to use that? Like, what is the practical application? I can't sell that thing to anybody, right? And so that's what these resellers are always looking for. It's not just, ooh, neat, cool technology. That's why I like you guys talking about how does AI really help the bottom line. So thanks for the answer. Thanks, Brett, uh, for the question. So uh, last uh, technology question that we have comes from David Gossman. So he's with HP, the chair of the RSPA board. We have one question after this, but it's not technology related. He says, we've seen some incredible technology and incredible customer experiences and some flagship stores, but we don't see them replicated in their standard retail shops. What are some of the truly differentiated experiences you're seeing that are being replicated chain-wide and producing that incredible customer experience? Nicole, if you want to take that one first. So the very first retailer that came to mind when you said that was uh, Nordstrom's, because I recently was at a Nordstrom's physical brick and mortar store here where I live in Denver. And what I've really loved that they've introduced even pre-COVID was a place that you can walk into a, you know, one of their main doors and quickly just turn left or right where they have the opportunity for return or for online pickup. So buy online pickup in store. Alterations are right there. They even have a monogramming setup. They've really catered to the consumer, the traditional Nordstrom consumer who wants an elevated customer experience, but they don't necessarily want to deal with any extra fluff to get there, right? So they've put what we want to do. If the goal is to return something or pick up something, I can just go there without having to navigate through the store. Now, some people would tell you, well, wait a minute, that keeps you from walking by additional inventory right. and purchase opportunities. But what they're catering to is the modern busy consumer who is going to spend anyway with them because they've already become a loyal customer to them. Um, so I really love that. We've seen Nordstrom's also offer some really neat smaller footprint stores, particularly in New York City just before COVID that was happening. Um, and so I think that they're replicating some of those ideas within smaller footprints within their larger big box stores. And I hope we start to see more of what they've done in bigger cities like New York throughout territories like Denver and Chicago and different places as well. Got it. Interesting. Stacey, uh, what are you seeing, uh, you know, from this standpoint? What's uh, it's trickling down? First, I'm a huge fan of uh, Nordstrom local neighborhood concept. Love it. And I think the future of department stores, if they want to survive, is just that. It's the hub and spoke model where you can manage inventory and also talk to your local consumer. So I, I think they were the first mover and they've done a great job. Um, I think one of the other interesting trends that you've seen, obviously, is the consumer and the younger consumer who is 
really who you care about, your future, is really concerned with sustainability and a circular economy. So you've seen a lot of the brands say, okay, you know, the marketplaces are great, but we're gonna try to do this ourselves because there's a couple things that come into play. When you can do resale yourself, you own the data on that customer who's coming in and they're typically younger. And then you can use that to make them a loyal customer. So um, you've seen a company called Trove emerge as a white label provider and they've been doing this for Levi's. They recently announced Lululemon and they're the logistics and the pricing brains behind brands so that they can move forward and gain a bigger sh a share of the resale business, which could represent about 20% of units in the next five years. So I think brands are doing really smart things to try to take back control of that business. Got it. The other thing I want to just share real fast, because as you're talking, Stacey, my mind's of course going to a million places. The one other thing that we're seeing a lot of is consumers are actually looking at payment choice to lead to transaction. So there are companies that, so earlier Stacey had mentioned as well, the buy now, pay later. So let's look at like Klarna. There are Facebook groups where consumers are like, well, who accepts Klarna? And then from there, that's where they choose to shop. So same with sustainability driving their purchase. So are payments, which we've never seen in the history of commerce before, really. So this is super fascinating to me as well, because generational, generationally, you know, younger customers don't want that credit overhead. So this is really fascinating. I think it's going to emerge as an even stronger uh, detail to purchase. That really that, seems to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Stacey. That's one of the strongest trends that we're seeing and, and one of the most important trends because not only does that younger customer look at a credit card and go, I'm not paying fees for this, um, but they're, they're looking at purchasing completely different. And when the customer clicks on and uses buy now, pay later, whether that's, you know, and so many offer it, it's PayPal, it's Klarna, it's, it's so many of them offer. When they change over to that, their average order value increases by double digits. So you have to embrace these types of payments and it really doesn't show that it pushes the customer into more debt. It helps them manage their spending power and leads to loyalty and, and higher orders. And that's what we all want, right? And those customers, the same way they have an attachment to sustainability, they feel a connection to this type of power that they have to make their purchases. They feel in control and feeling a sense of community as well. And I think that, you know, that's something really fascinating for small, mid and large retailers alike to think about, like, how do we make our customers feel as if they're part of a community that we are giving them an ecosystem to be a part of? Yeah, interesting to bring up those points. And it almost seems like for the retailers who don't make a customized uh, experience that is exactly what the person is looking for, putting the customer in control, that's why people are getting even more frustrated with them, right? Before, maybe the tolerance for a line or for, you know, jumping through hoops was a little bit longer. But now people don't want that at all, like to, to any sort of a, any sort of degree. So I guess that's a word to the retailers out there and the folks who serve them. The consumers are in control and they're not letting go of it, right? They're only going to get a stronger grip on uh, on what's going forward. So, all right, last question uh, for you both. It's from Hunter Allen of Servion Systems. And so it's about the labor market. So he says, we're hearing from merchants that the pandemic isn't what's holding them back now. It's the inability to find staff. Is this a short-term disruption that ends as unemployment subsidies are phased out? Or is this reflective of a broader socioeconomic issues that is likely continue uh, likely to continue well beyond 2021. Stacy, do you want to tackle the labor question first? Sure. I was just on a conference call with a a large brand that pays 17, 18 dollars an hour, and 
they can't find anybody to get out of bed to work for them. <laughs> they were, and, and they cited, you know, it's the government care packages that are keeping people at home perhaps a little longer, but this, this will pass. Um, but I think what the great news is that um, for, the, for the customer and the average laborer is that we have pushed up uh, hourly wages significantly during this time. And what's so interesting is the big guys, whether it was Target or Walmart, any of the big players, they're paying their people. They gave them raises and raises and COVID raises and special bonuses. That's sticky. You can't undo that. So once you give those raises, they stay there. And that's great for the hourly workers and the workers, particularly who are in retail. So I think some of that is very sticky. And those, the the hourly wages that they're offering, when the care packages subside, will absolutely bring those workers back in because they're much more attractive than they used to be. And Stacey, if I can just follow up on that, is that better for the retailers too? Like some people might say, well, their expenses are going up, but I've always had the philosophy of if you pay more, you're going to get better employees. And so maybe you don't need to hire as many. They're going to be more reliable. They're going to provide better service. It's better for your brand. It'll have more people coming in. So feel free to burst my balloon on that no. one. Or do you agree that this could be a benefit to them that they're going to get higher caliber because they're paying more? Well, I also think you just get happier employees and they, they're they not, they're happier being there and they're more willing to go the extra mile if they feel that they're being taken care of, not only from an hourly wage perspective, but benefits and good health care and all those other things that makes you feel good about going to work, that they're taking care of you and your family. So I think it works for everybody. Great. Nicole, uh, what's your take on the labor situation? Yeah, you know, I'm going to echo a lot of what Stacy has said. The one thing that I, I do think is going to go beyond 2021. I think the holidays will give us some change in terms of labor workers um, with the holiday rush of just in general, seasonal hires and so forth. But I do think we're going to see this a little bit into next year for sure. And, you know, I, I have um, just again, I mentioned I was I live in Denver and just recently somebody who has about, I don't know, 150 employees for a local, smaller, mid-sized business here that I'm familiar with, they just had to increase their average worker from what was 15 an hour to 18 an hour just to keep them because employees were quitting because it was easier to take money from the government. So that can't go backwards, although that's good for many things, to the actual employer as a small business, that puts a big dent on their overhead because what they cannot do is increase the rate of the service and the product they're selling. So there is a little bit of challenge within that space as well. Um, but I think it will find itself, it will average out and things will be resolved. But I think we're going to, you know, probably be dealing with this probably, I'd say, into 2022. And I guess to bring this full circle, does that mean from a technology standpoint, technology is going to become more important where before there was a certain amount of ROI by being more efficient, but now it's even greater because the additional labor, like you've really got to streamline that labor. Do you feel that way, Nicole? I definitely think that technology enhances business operations and it can reduce a lot of unnecessary expenses when used correctly, when used accurately. And the other thing is those people who are investing in technology, they need to actually use the data that they're gaining from it and use the resources that it allows itself to deliver on. Because sometimes technologies are implemented, but they're not really reacted to, right? Same with data. You can capture data, but unless you are reviewing that data and reacting to it, how can you as a business leader 
be you know more profitable more successful technology does a lot but it can't do everything so as leaders and decision makers we need to still take the time to nurture the investments of technology that we're making Great, and Stacey, I'll give you the last word, but I do want to say, knowing that you're uh, recording this being in London right now, it explains when I got your email this morning at like five something a.m. I'm like, wow, that is some early getting to your email. So now it's it's all coming together like the pieces of a giant puzzle. So final final word on our conversation today. No, I think that you know, as as Nicole said, small business has so many tools, and it's about finding ones that are practical that you can apply, and using those outputs to make change and whether that's, you know, as we talked about sustainability or margin enhancing AI opportunity, as you were saying, you know, if we have to pay more permanently for labor because those raises are sticky, then if we invest in technology like AI that brings brings down your markdowns permanently, that makes up the difference. So I think it's looking at the whole piece of the pie. How do you personalize it for the consumer and how do you take advantage of all these technologies that are driving sales and also insight into inventory. Wonderful. Fabulous insights. Fabulous advice. Thank you so much. So that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and The Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy is the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, big thanks again to Nicole Ryla and Stacey Widlitz for sharing their wisdom with us today. That was absolutely fantastic information. Also want to thank uh, our RSPA marketing manager, Chris Arnold, for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point-of-sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, everybody. Everybody.